But there at Gethsemane, Jesus was pressed in his spirit without any human sympathy or support because it was necessary for Jesus to drink the cup alone. He was pressed in the spirit, being troubled and deeply distressed, his soul being exceedingly sorrowful, even to death, even seen by his sweat being mingled with blood. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. John chapter 18, we're going to look at verses 1 through 18, and then we'll pick up verses 25 through 27, because it completes the account that John gave us of Peter's denial of Jesus Christ. Today we're going to look at a message that I titled, One Betrayed and One Denied Him. John 18, verses 1 through 18, also picking up verses 25 through 27. John 18, besides learning about Jesus' arrest, and John gives us the account of two trials that would take place, we learn through the Gospels that there were actually six trials that Jesus would stand before on the night that he was arrested there. Three would be uh, with the Jewish religious leaders. Three would be with the Gentile rulers, twice with Pilate, once with Herod. Amongst all of this, John makes commentary of prophecies being fulfilled in this passage. But oftentimes when we see prophecies having fulfillment in the New Testament, we're looking in the Old Testament to find where that prophecy came from. Every mention John makes in John 18, he's referring to things that were spoken either by another or by Jesus in those final days, maybe the final months of Jesus going to Jerusalem there. And so this was real-time prophecy being spoken often by Jesus and then seeing the fulfillment of, which I have to think made a deep impact upon the disciples' lives when they realized the spoken word of Jesus was becoming reality before their very eyes. Sometimes the spoken word of Jesus, as we'll see in our text today, was actually against the disciples. It would be in a negative sense, and they, their hearts would be broken over it. And yet, even with that, it doesn't matter if the spoken word of Jesus, like every one of you, will be made to scatter because of me this night. It didn't matter that to the disciples that they scattered and their hearts were broken 
the reality was is that Jesus's word held true at this time. And I believe John, as he himself would say, as he closes out his gospel in John 20, 30 and 31, John recorded these things for us. As he said, truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so every account that John has given us in his gospel, the Holy Spirit has made these available to us that we might believe. Today we're going to look at this message, one betrayed and one denied him, from John 18. We're going to see verses 1 through 11, one betrayed him. 10 through 14, one defended him, and 15 through 18, also picking up verses 25 through 27, one denied him. Let's go ahead and just, I'm going to read the opening two verses and we'll open in prayer. Verses 1 and 2 of John 18, it says, Then when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Father, I just pray that you'd open our hearts to receive from your word this morning those things which you know that we need to hear. Often, Lord Jesus, you would say to your church and to those who heard you speak publicly when you ministered upon this earth, let him who has an ear hear. And Father, I pray that it would be so with us. Let he who has an ear hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, this church, this day, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. We come to John 18. Jesus has been making his way from the upper room where he celebrated a Passover and also introduced the first communion service with his disciples. John records that for us in John 13, and then from John chapters 14 through 16, we have what the theologians have described as Jesus's final discourse, a very three chapters long, a long discourse that Jesus gave to his disciples. I've mentioned this as we've been working our way through these passages. Jesus, knowing that this would be the last time that he would be able to physically speak with his disciples, he had a lot to tell them at that time. And so sometimes uh, as we read through it, it seems a little bit scattered in points. And he would start talking about the Holy Spirit and then go on to something else, start talking about the Holy Spirit again, and then go on and talk about something else. But I think that's kind of how it is when someone realizes that this is the last time I'm going to be with you. And I have a lot to tell you, so I'm just going to pour it all out. And you can kind of organize my thoughts later if you would like. But as he made his way from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane, he made his final discourse and then he prayed the great priestly prayer as we looked at in John chapter 17. He did all these things before he stepped across the brook Kidron. As John tells us in verse 1 of John 18, when Jesus had spoken these words, so chapters 14 through 17, once that was accomplished, Jesus went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, and there was a garden there where he and his disciples entered. 
There is still a garden there where Jesus went with his disciples. And it's amazing that there in that Garden of Gethsemane where the olive trees, maybe the groves were much larger back in Jesus's day. This is really a token garden that's been left at the foot of the Mount of Olives, but it's directly east of Temple Mount. And the trees in that garden, some of them older than 2,000 years old. If you go to Israel today, they'll actually take you to the garden, let you tour the trees. It's kind of cool to uh, see them. They'll take you to the exact tree where Jesus prayed. I don't know if that's true or not. They take you to a, a lot of exact locations when you're touring in Israel. We learned that some of these exact locations several hundred years ago were designated more from convenience because it was easier to get to for those who were traveling into the Holy Land. So we know we're in the region, and that in itself is cool enough. And when you go to the Garden of Gethsemane today to see olive trees, it's amazing to see a tree that is 2,000 years old in and of itself, to know that that tree was actually there living and alive at the time of Christ. It is pretty incredible. But Judas also knew that this was the place. It wasn't that Jesus went here for the first time. John tells us in, in verse 2 that Judas knew that he often met here with his disciples. This is significant because the religious rulers wanted Jesus to be put to death, but they had said not during the feast because we don't want an uproar from the crowd. And so Judas was able to uh, give them a place where Jesus could be arrested apart from the crowd, away from the distraction of the multitude that they could do unto Jesus that which they desired. Uh, the Jewish historian recorded in AD 66, he recorded that 2,700,000 people attended that Passover feast. So that was 30 plus years removed from where we're reading about now, but we can see that this is a significant holiday where uh, somewhere of two plus million people would show up. Can you imagine the crowds around that city at that time? It gives us good reason why Jesus would want to get away to a secluded place where he could be with his disciples. We also know that Jesus is going to pray at this time. John doesn't record that prayer. The other gospel writers records uh, Jesus going into the garden with his disciples, taking Peter, James, and John a little further with him, and then Jesus still separating himself from Peter, James, and John, asking them to wait and to pray, and then Jesus going on to pray to be with his Father. And at that time, he surrendered himself to his Father's will. And also the gospel writers record for us at that time of his coming back to Peter, James, and John uh, three times. He left them. He came back to them twice. He said, you guys are sleeping. You're slumbering. Now's not the time for sleep. Come on, pray. Has anybody ever fell asleep while they were praying? Ever? I know I have. In fact, I've discovered if I can't sleep at night and I'm laying in bed at night, a good way for me to get to sleep is to begin to pray. <laughs> And uh, it gets your mind focused off the things perhaps that's keeping you awake onto God and to give you that rest that the scripture promises 
to those who believe in him that their sleep will be sweet. But it was during this time that Jesus, his sweat became as great, not only great drops of uh, sweat, but blood mingled with that, blood and water. We've already looked at that a little bit. Insignificant with the Brook Kidron. I've mentioned the amount of blood that flowed from the sacrifices from the temple, and it's amazing the volume. Josephus, again, recording this in AD 66, he said at that particular Passover, 256,500 lambs were sacrificed. I can't even imagine the sounds, the sights, the smells that that would all bring. And I think we kind of sanitize these stories a little bit too much when we read about it here. And that aqueduct that King Herod made to help wash the blood away, well, that blood would have been running in the brook Kidron at this place. Now, Bible scholars have a difficulty about the timing of Jesus's death. Did he actually die on Passover? Was it before Passover? Was it at twilight at the time the Passover lambs were being slain? And that will be argued until we see Jesus face to face. We won't know the exact timing of these things. We're all within that 24-hour period. But either that brook was running already with blood, which I assume some already, or it would be very soon in a great volume. It reminds us of the blood and the water that would come from Jesus and his side as well. In John 19, 34, it tells us when they pierced his side that immediately blood and water came out. We'll look at that when we get to John chapter 19 about the possibility of how blood and water could come out of the side of Jesus. But Kidron itself, the name means a dusky or dark place, and it's a stark reminder of the price of our sin. But God also reminds us through this dark and dusky place of his great mercy and grace through the atoning sacrifices. Gethsemane, there at the foot of the Mount of Olives, it actually gets its name from two different Greek words. It means uh, an oil press. They had olive groves there. You get olives, and what do you do with olives? You eat them, and then you press them and make oil out of them. And then the second half of that word speaks about the grease or the liquid that would come out. And so you have two Greek words, one meaning oil press, the other meaning uh, that grease or that liquid that would come out. John here, he doesn't refer to that final hour of testing in that prayer where Jesus put that distance between himself and his disciples. But there at Gethsemane, Jesus was pressed in his spirit without any human sympathy or support because it was necessary for Jesus to drink the cup alone. He was pressed in the spirit, being troubled and deeply distressed, his soul being exceedingly sorrowful, even to death, even seen by his sweat being mingled with blood. Isaiah 53.3 reminds us he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Ella Wilcox wrote about this garden, thinking about the garden itself, writing, All those who journey, soon or late, must pass within the garden's gate, must kneel alone in darkness there, and battle with some fierce despair. God pity those who cannot say 
not mine but thine, but who only pray, let this cup pass. They cannot see the purpose of Gethsemane. You know, it is about surrender. Jesus needed to surrender to his Father's will. And I believe that's why we read that when Judas came with the troops, that Jesus came out to meet them. He knew the hour had come. So we read verses 3 through 6. Judas, having received a detachment of troops, the officers and the chief priests and Pharisees, there with lanterns, torches, and weapons, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, he went forth and said to them, Whom are you seeking? And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. And when he had said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. For the past three years, Jesus' disciples had often argued among themselves about who was the greatest. They were even doing this just prior to coming to Jerusalem. They were worried about Jesus coming into this fame and this position and glory in the nation of Israel. And they were really worried about, Lord, what role are we going to have when you enter into your kingdom? John and James saying, can one of us sit on your right hand side, the other on the left hand side? Peter, the one, as we'll see later, who would say that even if all these forsake you, I will never deny you. I'll even die for you. They were worried about their position and their power and their greatness. And this is Judas's hour of depraved glory. It had arrived. He came with great power of troops, of officers, with Pharisees. He came with lanterns, torches, and weapons. But we discover that even in the darkness of this hour, the greatest power that went forth was the very words of Jesus. Matthew 16, 21 tells us, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, be killed and raised on the third day. John writing, Jesus knowing what was about to take place, he got up and he went out and he faced them. And Jesus pronounced, when they asked, who do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he pronounced to them, I am he. I want you to notice in your Bibles that the he is in italics. That means that the translators have inserted that for you to give you understanding of uh, who's being talked about here, that it's Jesus. But if we take it and strip it back, take that he away, what Jesus said is ego ami. Two Greek words that simply mean, I am. Jesus came, and with the power of those words, I am, the enemies fell to the ground, including Judas. They came with torches, with weapons, with lanterns, and all Jesus said was two words, I am, ego in me, and the enemy fell back to the ground. This statement reminds us of the seven I am statements as found in the Gospels of John. We've learned about them through the course of this study this year. The I am statements of Christ found in John's Gospel are, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. Ego and me. 
It also reminds us of the words that God gave to Moses when Moses asked the Lord, so I go back to Israel and tell them that someone has sent me that my people should be set free. And they asked the question, Exodus 3.14, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent you. The very same words that his father God used, gave to Moses to declare to Israel in his day. The same words that Jesus used when they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He said, ego me." he said, I am. When he spoke those words, they fell back. And then verses seven through nine, he again asked, whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, I get a mental picture of this. He again asked, as they are beginning to stand up to dust themselves off, pick up their lanterns, their torches, their weapons. Whom are you speaking? And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, and he said, I've told you that I am. I wonder this time if they just kind of a little blowback. Didn't fall down this time. John doesn't talk about him falling down a second time. But I believe that they would have felt the impact of those words. It also tells us of the hardness of men's hearts. How can you stand in the presence of the Lord, see the full glory of the Lord in two spoken words, fall to the ground, unable to resist those words, stand up again, and then arrest the man who had done that to you? It speaks about the hardness of the heart of mankind. Yet Jesus takes control. They came with the authority of the chief priest and torches, lanterns, and weapons. But Jesus had the great authority there. He said, I've told you that I am. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. So it was Jesus who released the 11 disciples. And John tells us, that he said this, that it might be fulfilled, which he spoke, of whom you gave me, I have lost none. This was a prophecy that came from John seventeen twelve, when he prayed to the Father, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name, those who you have given me. I have kept them, and none of them were lost, except the son of perdition, that scripture might be fulfilled. So even in Jesus allowing the disciples to be released. He is showing his authority before those who came to arrest him there. Before we move on to our, uh, verses 10 through 14, there's another thing that's significant about the brook Kidron. It's not just that it's between the uh, Mount Moriah, where Temple Mount is, and the Mount of Olives, and this valley between them. It's not just because the blood of the sacrifice would run from Mount Moriah down into the valley through the brook Kidron that named it this dark and dusky place. We also find in the Old Testament that when King David, his son Absalom, tried to rebel and to take his kingdom from him, the scripture tells us that as David went out of the city, he left Jerusalem and he crossed over the brook Kidron. And so prophetically, David traced the steps of Jesus that he would take. David went out that night, but came back and was restored to his kingdom. Jesus went out that night, 
and would come and be resurrected from the grave, proclaim King and Lord over all who believe in him. And we find that though one betrayed him, Jesus, he willingly submitted himself to his Father's will. Father, I pray that you would be with us. You know our hearts. You know, Lord, how we conduct ourselves in this world. Perhaps, Lord, we have found ourselves in places we know we should not be as believers. I pray, Lord, that you would help us not to be comfortable in those places. Help us, Lord, to do as Peter did. It took three questions from other people, three denials of his Savior before he got out of there. It took a look from Jesus to remind him of the words of Jesus, to hear the rooster crow before he left. But we discover that as he went out, he went out and he wept bitterly. Lord, I pray that you would break us if we need to be broken in this way. Because it's through brokenness, Lord, through godly sorrow that restoration can come. And I pray, Father, that you would be with us now. As we close out in this last song, Lord, whatever the need of this hour is for the individuals that are here today, I pray, Father, that you would meet them in their hour of need. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into his image by the power of his Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. And let God